Hi, everybody. This is Adriana Trajani. I'm the host of You Are What You Read. I have the privilege of interviewing luminaries of our times about the books that shaped them from childhood until now. We get everybody from Sarah Jessica Parker to Kristen Hanna, Mitch Albom, Susie Essman, Craig Ferguson, Rain Wilson, Amor Tolls, you name it, they come, they share. New episodes of You Are What You Read drop every Tuesday on Apple, Spotify, or any major streaming platform wherever you listen to your podcasts. I'm Elizabeth Reese. I'm Marjorie Punnett. And this is Best to the Nest, the podcast that is all about creating strong, comfortable, beautiful nests that prepare us to fly. Hi, Marjorie. Back in the game. Back on the weekly rotation. I know. It's so nice to be back. I have to tell you, though, it's been a crazy week here because Saturday night, we had 100 mile an hour straight line winds come through the center of Manhattan, Kansas. Yikes. That's like what you expect from Kansas when you look yeah, back at the Wizard con- of Oz. It was kind of crazy because yeah. they said that the, 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 the air was circling in such a wide circle that any moment it could have formed a tornado. Yeah. So we were under tornado warnings, um, pretty much Saturday night <sighs> and it was nuts. I mean, we, our bedroom luckily is kind of, we have a kind of an English basement. And so our bedroom is kind of not the basement. It's kind of half and half. Oh, so when there's a situation like that we just go to our bedroom so yeah. it's really nice it's not like we have to go into a like creepy crawly basement <laughs> but um the damage in this one part of town we lost the center and top of a tree and um we had a little other damage done but nothing significant this one part of town elizabeth devastated like Man. just came through and it's like i just breaks my heart for those people because a lot of trees down um you know roofs pulled off but I'm talking like five houses, not yeah. 30. So, but yeah. so it was so particular. It just ran through this one area and just did massive damage and then nothing else. You know, I remember I mean, that happening in Minneapolis by our old house several right. years ago and it was on our friend's street. Right. We had crazy straight line winds and it went, the wind went right down that street and mowed down every tree on the street. Yep. It was so wild. I mean, everybody had trees down and had branches down, but that one street was just, they were all down. Yep. It's, that's crazy. It does feel, you know, this is certainly the time of year where you have like that unsettled weather, which sort right. of coincides with like the unsettled feeling of getting into the summer schedule and yes, absolutely true. nothing in my schedule is muscle memory right now. The only oh. thing really is, I mean, is the show is Twin Cities Live every day at three. So right. I know that I have to do that, but nothing is muscle memory. Nothing is just like, oh, we get in the car and we go at this time. It's every day. It's like, wait, what's happening? Wait, what's happening? Who's doing what? And it feels very like exhausting. Like it's just totally energy draining because you have nothing that's just intuitive as far as you moving through the day. I don't, I feel like a lot of parents have to feel this way. Do you know why it feels exhausting? (laughs) Cause it is. Cause it is. (laughs) And summers are so hard, not only for, you know, working mothers, but from mothers who work inside the home, because for exactly that reason, there's no routine. Uh, I used to love the fact that we didn't have homework because homework was always very serious in our house. Yeah, and I used yeah. to love that we were free from that. But at the same time, you're free from that. So now what? 
you know, you don't want to plant the kids in front of the television. You don't, you have to, you sort of have to up your parenting game in a very big way. And then, and then the other stressor is age. You know, at what age do you stop hiring a babysitter? At what age can your kids walk to the neighborhood pool by themselves? At what Mm -hmm. age can they go downtown by themselves? Which brings us to something that I'm so excited to share with you today. So I was turned on to this show by my son, Gar, my older son, Gar. And it's so funny that he was watching it and loving it. And it's called (laughs) Old Enough. And it's a show on Netflix out of Japan. It's been in production since 1991. Oh, my gosh. And I was reading an interview with the producer, and they consider it a docu a docu series, a long docu series, a long docu series. It feels um, I don't know if you've ever watched much Japanese television. No, none. But it's a riot. When I was in Japan, I was obsessed with watching Japanese television. There was a morning show that had an oversized human pickle in it, and I couldn't understand what was going on. But it was so bizarre. He was half I love naked. Everything about Japanese culture is so fascinating because it's such juxtapositions. Like it's like the serious, most hardworking, but then like let's just do something totally wild. I find yeah. that to be delightful. It is delightful, and I never understood what the adult pickle was about, <laughs> but it was so strange. So this show is produced sort of in that cutesy kind of sing-songy kind of way. So okay. when, when the producer says it's a documentary, it's like, oh, okay. But really, it doesn't feel like one. It feels very kid-like. And the basis for the show is to document the Japanese tradition where inter- – and this is according to the producer. So I'm not making these grand generalizations about Japanese culture. That in the Japanese culture, the producer said – it is tradition that children get a large amount of responsibility at a very young age. Okay. I mean, that makes sense. Yep. And that a big deal in Japanese culture, at least when this started in 1991, and it's still going today, is the idea of the first errand. Mm. So children want to help. We know that to be true. Children want to help. This idea of first errand is that the kids will go out and actually do something for their parents. Great. So the cameras document children's first errands. And, and the show is actually cast this way. You know, they, they ask for families who are authentically going to have their child do their first errand. Mm-hmm. So the episode that I would recommend everybody watch, if you're just going to watch it for the first time, is episode four. And it's a little girl. She's named, I have to look up her name. Her is name this in is, the first season or what, what What are we working with the seasons? According to Netflix, this is season one. Okay. So, so I don't when know you go what to Netflix. Means. Yeah. So it maybe it's feel, like a reboot or maybe there, whatever. It doesn't feel like 1991. So I don't know this. I don't think this is really the first season that yeah. was ever done, but it's in Akashi, Japan. It's sort of a bay town. So it's a big fishing town. The show is going to follow three-year-old Yuka. On her first errand, three. She's three. And her mother is sending her to the very crowded fish market, which is five blocks away. At three. At three. She's got her little shopping bag. She's got her little list, not written down because uh, Yuka can't read. So Yuka's got to memorize the list. Yuka's errand is to go five blocks away, crossing a major street. Think of the most major street you can around your house. Yeah. And this little girl is going to cross it by herself. Um, and she's going to the fish market and she has to buy shishamo, shrimp tofu, sweet potato, and octopus. 
It sounds like a makings of a delicious dinner. Um, at three years old and she has to carry the money and then she's going to go and she's going to carry those things back. Yes. And so the, the show follows this little girl. Well, they follow the setup of the mom saying, you know, this is the day you're going to do your first errand. And Yuka starts crying and she's like, but I'll be lonely. I'll, I'll miss you. I want to go with you. And the mother's like, no. And the mother almost starts crying too. This is your first errand day. You have to go do it. You can do this. I need your help. That's the big thing. And I would say this, I use that line all the time with my children. I need your help. Yeah. Not do this. Yeah. It's, I need your help. That's a good and so line. So the mom says, I need your help. And so Yuka marches off. And this is the, the funny thing about Japanese television. So there's narration and the narrator as Yuka's, you know, walking along like, and three-year-old walkers are the cutest thing ever. How old is he, Heathcliff? Heathcliff's only 19 months. Okay. Oh man, he's a good walker. Yeah, he's anyway, a real guy. He's a runner. He's a, yeah, he's a, <laughs> I mean, not so, running away. He just runs. He loves to run. Wherever. Mm-hmm. So Yuka's at 19 months. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. Oh, that's great. He's okay. a little, so, they're animals. They're, they're okay. just wild animals. They can't be tamed. Okay. Don't let them watch the show because <laughs> they'll think they can do this and they can't do this. Um, so Yuka's walking to the market and the narration says, this is the strange thing. So at one point, the narrator says, like a young bride, she strolls down the wide sidewalk. That feels so there's weird. A little, there's a little bit of weird, like gender roles programming going on. Cause then they talk a couple of times about how she's a good housewife. Oh, that's a, that's a little odd. But I'm not, I'm, I'm going to leave it there. Yeah. Just note that it's yep. a little strange to my sensibilities, mm-hmm. but I'm going to try not to judge, but it's odd. Okay. I think that's a judgment, but anyway. So Yuko's walking along and she goes in and then they, they, they proceed to, to watch her, you know, buy the things that she's supposed to get. And the funny part of, of that little episode is Yuka's supposed to get one thing and she instead sees this really pink fish with its head chopped off, a very expensive fish. And she opts for that instead. And they ask her why she bought it. And Yuka said, because it was cute and pink. And so, you know, sometimes impulsive shopping happens. So then she walks home, but I want to read you. So they go on to say, is it hard to keep a straight face when the kids address you during the errand? So the kids will see the cameras, yeah, but they think that they're, they don't understand what they are because these kids are all three and four years old. Mm-hmm. They think that they're electricians or they think they can't quite figure out what they are. So they ask the producer, is it hard to keep a straight face when the kids address you during the errand? And the producer says, sometimes a child will ask, what are you doing? We simply return the question and say, what about you? What are you doing? They will say errand and proudly proudly start talking about what they've set out to do. They forget that they had a question to begin with and go on with their task. At that age, they can only think about one thing at a time. Remember, we talked to somebody about this on the podcast. Mm -hmm. They can only think about one thing at a time, and we take advantage of that when we shoot. Children younger than five and three months don't realize they are being followed. That's a frightening thought. Right. They just come home and tell their mom the electrician, really a staff member in a costume, was running too. Children around that age develop at different rates when it comes to being able to think of several things at once. So we play it by ear. But obviously, if a child were about to be run over, I would imagine they would step in. But I've seen episodes where the child's pretty confused and they just keep documenting it. I mean, one little child was sent out to the cabbage patch to go to the store and then to go to the cabbage pack and pick a cabbage. 
the cabbage was like six pounds. I mean, it was huge. How are they going to carry the cabbage? It took her, and she was five, it took her about an hour and a half. And she kept pulling and pulling and pulling and finally gets it. She's kicking the dirt. She finally gets it, but the sunset. And so now it's completely dark. (gasps) And so she's walking home. She's not far from home. And the staff is still sort of shooting her, however this works. And they set up a like a light on the path for her way home. So are you it's feeling crazy. anxiety as you're watching this? I mean, I, I, I like this independence. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm liking so much about this as I'm like reacting to you talking about it. But then I feel so uncomfortable with so much of this. <laughs> <laughs> yes. All of those things. It's, I'm not uncomfortable with watching it because I know that there's a crew. Yeah. And nothing's going to happen to that child. But are other people, are other Japanese people looking, like if I sent, I'm just going to tell you something. In the United States of America, yeah. if I sent my three-year-old to the store, someone would call the police on me. Yeah. I mean, they legitimately would. They would be like, your child is missing. And, um, and where is the mother? Would step in. Social services would step in. Even For if sure. I think if I sent, at this point, I don't know if I could even send a 10-year-old. Like, we are living in strange times. And that's and that's what the producer talks about, that this is a, a Japanese tradition. This is not out of the norm. Right. This is culturally different than what we do here. Right. Now, the interesting thing to me is our culture used to be a little bit more like this. 100%. When, yeah. When I was growing up, and I don't think our culture is any more dangerous than it used to be. Statistically, it isn't. Mm-hmm. We just know more. Right. We know more than we used to. Mm-hmm. Um, but, I mean, I, this is what I was going to ask you about. It. I mean, I remember taking public transportation by myself downtown Chicago at eight. Yeah. I was in third grade. So, I remember having to do a project for school and I went and I got on the bus and I went downtown to the downtown library, asked the librarian to help me. Um, I can remember it distinctly. My sister and I would go walking around our neighborhood and we did not live in a safe part of Chicago um, because she loved to sew. So we would go to Goldblatt's, which was a store in Chicago. And, oh my God, I hated it so much. She would look at patterns for hours <laughs> and I would just run around the store. But I mean, we were on our own. We walked ourselves to school. Yeah. But I'm trying to think about the things that I did. I did so many things because I was a pretty big surprise. Um, uh, I, I liked being alone as a mm-hmm. child. And so I would do a lot of things by myself. And I think about, you know, my kids started riding public transportation in Minnesota in eighth and sixth grade. And there were mothers who were like, they do what? Yeah. And it was like, oh my God, please. And you lived in the city. And I lived in the city. I'm like, they're fine. They are fine on the bus. They will be fine. Nothing's going to happen to them on public transportation. They're fine. It's sort of interesting because at this point, I feel like, you know, the the way that you live, like rural kids seem to be less supervised, right? I mean, they can just like go out into, if you have some acreage, you're just letting them out to play and, you know, hopefully not fall in an abandoned well and, you know, living their best life, climbing trees, doing all that stuff. Right. City kids, I think there's a mix, you know, certainly when you were growing up, 
And when I was growing up, it was probably more like, I don't know, the eighties got real dicey. I mean, you, you could go and do, yeah, you could go and do whatever. When I was a kid growing up in the suburbs, we were all over the place. I don't even remember. I mean, it was like, just go ride your bike. There were certain limits that we had that we couldn't do until we were a certain age. Like I remember we couldn't cross Cedar Avenue to go to Target until we were like 13. That was like a big deal because it was a really busy street. But we would go to George's Market and we would buy Clearly Canadian and bubble tape and we would just crush it. And it was (laughs) awesome. And that was really, I mean, the fear of living like that did not happen until Jacob Wetterling was abducted. And that happened in Minnesota when I was 12. And, um, when that happened, any, you know, anyone around anyone, anyone's age, I think in Minnesota knows that story, but like, particularly if you're my age, you know how that really was a game changer for how parents started raising their children, because it was like, you're, he was riding his bike out in right. a, a super small, safe town out on a country road and he was taken and never seen again. And, it's um, horrific. and it was horrific. And, he, and so it was a major cultural shift. Ian, um, talks about his, Ian's four years older than I am. So really a young child in the late sixties, early seventies mm-hmm. and talks about how his mom would pack up lunches for them in the summer and the expectation would be they would leave at like nine and come home at five. And they're gone for hours and hours and hours and yeah. hours. And, and this is pre-cell phone. For sure. And certainly for me, my mom was working. And so, and I had older sisters. So they were sort of supposed to be in charge of me, but they were not. Mm-hmm. And so I would do, I mean, I didn't do anything bad. And I sort of intuitively stayed on our block. Um but it is it is interesting, and I think for American culture, I do think Jacob Wetterling, and there were a couple other big cases right around that time, yeah. heightened the awareness of there's danger, obviously, right. out there for kids. But I think what also changed in terms of city living is, you know, when I was growing up, we lived in the suburbs till I was six. In the suburbs, everybody's mother was home except mine. Mm. So there were so many doors to knock on. Yeah. You know, there were so many, there were so many people sort of eyes on, even though they were more distant eyes, you know, somebody was sort of keeping track of us and I lived on a lake. So it wasn't even, you know, that's even dangerous in and of itself. For sure. And then when I moved to the city at seven, six or seven, most of the moms still on the block where we lived in the neighborhood we lived in were home. So I I do think that's part of the culture shift too. When all of these houses are empty, yeah, you know everybody's at work, and COVID's changed that a little bit too. That changes the the dynamic. And even in this Japanese show, it's clear these are stay at home moms. Yeah. So I don't know. I think what will you be comfortable with? I mean, these are the choices you're going to have to make coming up pretty soon. How old's Bernie? Bernie seven. Yeah. It you know I think we all struggle with this. And I actually talk about this with my neighbor quite a bit because our neighbors have two boys and then our neighbor behind us has a boy and a girl. And so we spend a lot of time together and we talk about, okay, well, are we going to let them go to the dairy queen? And I'm like, I don't know. I've seen some drug deals going down right there. You know, I mean, we, this is the, that's the truth of the matter. You're not going to experience that probably in Edina, but we live in Minneapolis and that's how things go that like block to block. It can be a little bit, Different. Oh, and then 
We used to watch the prostitutes yeah. across from our balcony in Chicago. See. You could see there'd be six or seven prostitutes standing, and six or seven is probably an exaggeration, two or three. Mm-hmm. And I remember my parents having to explain to us because we were standing on our second-story porch at our house, and they're like, well. And I don't remember the explanation, but I knew they were prostitutes. Yeah. Like, it's weird to know that. Ladies of the them. night, I guess, huh? Ladies of yeah, the night. La- that's probably what my father That's probably them. what they said back then. Yeah. yeah and um, And so I want to have like safe destinations for them. I want to have them be able to gain that independence, to be able to run an errand, to be able to go and do things. But at the same, I mean, that's part of why we live in the city too, is that it's walkable. I mean, you can walk to a restaurant, you can walk to a shop, you can, you know, walk to the coffee shop. But at the same time, I don't know, we've so culturally shifted in that expectation of just even like me leaving the house without my cell phone is unfathomable. Like if Jay couldn't get a hold of me and I had left and I didn't have my cell phone, he would be, he would be worried. He just would. Number one, he'd be like, she's lost for sure because without her map app on her phone, she has no idea where she's going. Right. And, um, and so with a phone, I will feel better about it. And then we have to navigate that. Okay. What's the phone? Where do we get to the point where we're doing the phone? What's going to be, how are we going to manage the phone? And it just go, you know, goes into one thing after another. But I certainly think about the things that I was doing when I was 11 years old till turning 12 that summer. I turned 12 that summer. I babysat for a three-year-old and an 18-month-old every single day, all day. Crazy. Three, crazy. You can ask their mother because I know her. And it's, it's the every day of it that's crazy. It's and now, every day of it that's yes, kind of shocking. It's totally shocking because even now I look and I'm like, there is no way that even now I have high school and college nannies and I'm like, right. oh man, guys, why don't you, one of you do three days and one of you do two days? Because right. like the it's idea of doing five days with my children all day sounds like very challenging. And I only have them doing two children. I've got the baby in daycare because I think like, well, I don't really want them to be hindered by nap time. You know, this is like, and then I sometimes go, have I lost my mind and like lost any sense of of financial well-being, I am hemorrhaging cash on this stuff. It's like but, crazy. But you know, what's, what's interesting about that, though, is I started babysitting very young as well because mm-hmm. I have three older sisters, and I think I've talked about this on the podcast before, is they started having lives. Yeah. The people who would desperately call for babysitters, yeah. they were always getting new clients. Who's next and, in line? Who's next in line? And by the time they get to me, I'm like 11. And they're like, you're fine. <laughs> you're fine. But I even think about like one of my favorite families, I was, I was probably a sophomore, so 14, 15, and I babysat for their two-year-old and their newborn who had Down syndrome. And, and that was like, and I was good at it. I mean, as were you. And I think about like how important and how formative that responsibility was for me. Mm -hmm. And I'm grateful that these parents so desperately wanted to get out of their houses that they were willing to give us that responsibility. I certainly wasn't as comfortable. I never left. I would, I never would have left an infant with a 12 year old. Ever. Oh my gosh. No, and I'm not judging the people who left way. their infants with me because I'm grateful for that, but I wouldn't have done it. 
Times have changed. It's crazy. Yeah, it totally, it is the things that seemed completely okay then seem totally crazy now, which are, you know, all sorts of things. And, and this will continue on to happen with generations. But I do think it's important. It's so funny. You wanted to talk about this today because then I sent you this video that I took of Heathcliff, my 19 month old. And I said, this is so funny that you want to talk about this because look at the video of what I had him assigned to do this morning as I was getting ready and we've had a hectic day today. I, I took his um, hamper from his nursery into the bathroom where I was getting ready. And I said, Heathy boy, put all these clothes in the laundry chute. And he was like, oh, and he thinks this is like the greatest thing because he's into helping me unload the dishwasher. He likes to pick things up and then hand them to me. And then I'm like nervous he's going to stab himself with a knife. So I'm like swooping those. But he loves to put things down the laundry chute. Which who doesn't? I'm right. 40 years old. I think having a laundry chute is it's awesome. It's so it's fun. It's the best thing ever. So then I just put it there and he just sat and one by one picked up the dirty things and put them in the laundry chute. And, um, and then I just instituted this week. This is going to sound so dumb compared to a three year old running an errand, but I said to my children, I was like, guys, if you want water at a meal, you need to get your own water <laughs> because I have just been the person. Yeah, no, that's done. Who just like, I'm swooping through, I'm doing da da da. I have a broken ankle, by the way, and I still am like getting them nope. water. And that's I, on you. I know it's totally on me because some of it is that reminder that is it slower to empty the dishwasher when Heathcliff is slowly yep. handing me a glass and I'm like afraid he's going to break it 100%. It takes an upfront time investment in order to get them to that independent point. And we are living such like this rushed life that I think we don't invest it at the beginning. And I will tell you, I don't talk a lot about with confidence of the things that I did right with my children, because until, until the day, you know, until they're 90 years old and they've led a successful life, I won't know that I've fully done my job. You, they, you have, and they are lovely people well, and you're not giving yourself enough credit. They're wonderful well, wonderful young men that were really raised to be like self-sufficient and they are, they don't have like the typical male blind spots for like getting things done. It's very much, I, they'll never be an overpaid, like 55 white man executive who you're like, dude, that guy's doing nothing and he's yeah. making that much cash. And there are plenty they're, of them out there. They're hard workers. They're hard <laughs> workers. And, and that's one of the things that I, I, what you said is so important is to invest in it up front. Yeah. Slow it down. Yeah. Teach them how to do these things because kids are so much more capable than I think a lot of times we give them credit. And it's mm-hmm. not even a, a conscious thing. It's really just a busy thing. It's like, a busy I don't think thing. a lot of people are sitting down and going, my son or daughter could never do that. We're just saying, oh my God, it would take them so long to do it. I'm just going to do it. And yeah. my mom used to give me a hard time because she's like, you make your kids work so hard. And it's like, well, they do. And as we've talked about before, they had buckets with their names on it and they would scrub the, we had three front porches on our house in Atlanta that needed to be scrubbed regularly. That is a job that a five and a three-year-old can do and they did it well. (laughs) That's good. Yeah. And so they always had jobs and it's funny. I had, I had, um, I had Campbell fill out that form that Bernie had filled out for you for Mother's Day. Was it Franklin that did it? It was Franklin. Yeah. They all, yeah. Frankie this year. And one of the questions was like something, you know, what does, what does your mom love about you or something? And my son Campbell, who's 28 years old said, my mom loves to assign us jobs every time we come to visit her. (laughs) And it's true. Nothing's changed. And I actually, 
we, we hired somebody else to do some work in our yard and I told my son about it and he goes, my feelings are actually, (laughs) but, but I mean, raising your kids to be able to run the household, they should. Yeah. Because they're going to have to run their own someday. So why shouldn't they be helping you? And I think that that's great that you're like, get your own water. I know, but that seems so pathetic that that's the point I'm at where they're seven and almost five. And the first thing I've been like is you need to get your own water. I mean, cripes. I've got to be better, but I do, I feel like, and we're like actively making some changes so that we're in a better situation where I can slow things down. I'm constantly like, okay, how do I slow things down? Right. So that I can be intentional about teaching them the lessons. And it, it, it is very difficult. And then it, I will tell you too, what gets really difficult is when you have an oldest girl and the oldest girl is very capable and yeah. she will like do things and listen. And then your second one is a boy and all you want is to not raise a boy who just lives off of the girl in his life doing everything for him domestically. Right. right. So I have to constantly be like, Frankie, you have to clean up this circle of toys. Yep. And if it does not get done, you're not getting this. I mean, it's just like nonstop because he'll sit there and dawdle away. I mean, part of it is that he's four, but then part of it is just because Bernie will get it done. And it like makes right. me crazy. Right. And and that pattern, I will tell you, that's not necessarily just a gender thing, although I know exactly what you're saying. Yeah. We had that. I think I take it more to heart with the gender thing probably, huh? What? I think I like am more sensitive to it because it's the gender thing. It's it. And I, and I'm here to tell you, it, it's not necessarily. Yeah. That's because good. I had two boys and I had one who would use the excuse of, I've been swimming all day and I'm super tired. I can't possibly unload the dishwasher. And then the other one, I'm not naming them. And then the other one who was always, you know, pretty efficient. And if you gave him a job, he would just rather get it done quickly. So I wouldn't bother him anymore. (laughs) And it was really hard to make sure that that other one didn't pick up the work of the other one. Yeah. Because that's not fair. No. It's just not fair. And so that was sort of the struggle of, yeah, I know you're tired, but there's still a baseline of what has to be done. And your brother shouldn't have to pick up your slack because you're doing something you choose to do. Mm-hmm. We're not telling you to go swim. In fact, I used to tell him, stay in bed. It's too cold. And he'd be like, oh, my God, mom. And he would just go. We but all know which like, ones you're saying, talking about, yeah. by the way. Like, you've outed one. <laughs> Gar, you're a lazy cleaner, but you're a good swimmer. Just so you know. <laughs> there you go. But I think that it's not necessarily gender, but the That's, patterns are dangerous. Yeah, yeah. The I think I'm more sensitive dangerous. to it because of the gender, because I'm just like, I don't want her to be like, Living her life and having to like clean up after some man, blah, you know. Right, right. It is, but it's just, it's just, and 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 you, I think it's it's just for anybody out there. We haven't solved anything. This is one of those podcasts. We haven't solved anything for you, mm-hmm. and we have no great wisdom, <laughs> except to say, kids could do more than you think you can. Slow down and let them do it, and it'll just in the end make your life easier, and they'll be better for it. Yeah, yeah. And we think I, they should. They're old enough to walk to the fish market at three in the United States. No, no. Somebody will call the police on you. Don't do that. But at the same time, you're right. I mean, I think one thing that I would take away from this conversation and that is helpful because as we talk about, you know, bringing your best to the nest and creating that environment in which everybody is contributing, everybody feels, you know, you feel like you're at your best and you feel part of that is accomplishing things is that our job is to raise them to be independent people. That is really 
the number one job of being a parent is to prepare your child because your child is going to be your child until they're 18. I mean, they're always going to be your child, but they're going to be essentially probably, you know, living with you. And the job is getting them ready to be able to be a human out in the world, which they will be for many more years than they will be living with you. And so sometimes in the busyness of things and in all the other things we have to focus on, as a parent, you know, I, I do think this focus now on like, we, I want to raise, raise a kind person. I think that's really wonderful. That's really great. But at the top should be an independent functioning person. Adult. I mean, that, that is, that's what it is, right? Like the mama bird has to feed the baby bird to get it out of the nest and become a real bird. This is how it goes. And the importance of that as well is think about it. Do you want to be supporting? financially. I mean, I'll support my children emotionally for the rest of their lives. They know they can call me at any moment, but I will tell you there is great joy when you are no longer supporting them financially. They're so expensive. They're really expensive expensive. and it's really nice to be done. At least for now, (laughs) I'm pretty done on that. So, um, but old enough, I recommend watching it on Netflix. I am, I am torn about whether I would want young children to watch it. I think not, because I think it shows it would be modeling for children in America something we just don't culturally do here. Yeah, yeah. I got it. But, you know, know it might inspire the independence. I mean, maybe you're not going to the fish market, but maybe it's like, hey, if that little kid can do that, I can probably do this. You know, I think there might be some. I'm going to let me watch it and then I'll come back to you. I'd like to know what you think, because your children would be very influenced by the show. And I'd be curious once you watched an episode, whether or not you'd let, I think Bernie could handle it because she could critically think through what she's capable of and what it's the younger two that I'm worried about. (laughs) I'm always worried about Franklin constantly. What is Franklin doing? That boy has such a spot in my heart. I will tell you, he has such a spot in my heart. He is uh, hanging out with him. He is a spirit. He is a force to be reckoned with. That's the truth of the matter. That's the truth. We love him. Okay. If you're enjoying this podcast, please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and give us a review at Apple Podcasts, please. You have one today, Marjorie. Yes. And they don't always have to be good. And here's an example of that. (laughs) Uh, I don't have the person's name and I probably wouldn't have used it anyway. She wrote about our episode COVID my way. Oh, And she said, Marjorie, your experience with COVID was lucky for you. However, your laughing and joking about doing COVID my way is completely insensitive to families and friends of the over 1 million Americans who have died of COVID or have COVID complications. I doubt you would have been giggling it up if you had ended up hospitalized. The vaccine guarantees nothing. Plenty of people who have had the vaccine have died or experienced complications too. You got lucky and you should be grateful. Now, here's what I want to say to this. First of all, we were not laughing about COVID. We were laughing about how absurd it is that my personality type could think that I can do COVID my way. Mm -hmm. There's a nuance and there's some critical thinking skills that are necessary to understand that episode. Mm -hmm. We are not laughing about COVID. No, There's nothing funny about 1 million people dying. But I will tell you, my family and the way we've always been is if there's laughter to be found, we will find it. Yeah. And it's one of the things that I love about you, Elizabeth. Both Elizabeth and I, our families have been touched by COVID. Mm-hmm. Both of our families are yeah. in yeah. significant and profound and sad ways. Am I laughing about that? No. 
Is it private information? Yes. But don't think for a minute we forget people's suffering. But at the same time, I will never not laugh when something's funny. And the idea that Elizabeth called me out on saying that I'm going to do COVID my way and how absolutely ridiculous that is, that's funny. And I will stand by that every single day. That's funny because nobody can do COVID their way. And that's what we've learned. And that in the big picture is what makes it so difficult. I don't know. Do you have I love it. To to I love it. No, I don't need to add anything because that was just beautifully said. You're absolutely right. I think you're absolutely right. And sharing stories, sharing experiences does not mean lack of gratitude, guys. It nope. doesn't mean lack of gratitude. They are not mutually exclusive. Sharing your story and sharing your experience never means that you've lost perspective uh, in terms of what other people have been through. If you want to go down a road of somebody else, but somebody else had it worse, you will never be able to share an experience because you will always be able to find somebody who had it worse. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. I think that's a wonderful, we have hard conversations here too. Yep. And we have conversations about, um, I think we're in a real cultural crisis in the lack of the ability to have a conversation about things that we might disagree on without going on the outrage train and the yeah. cancel culture tra- train. And we're not going to bow down to that. We're just not going to do it. We're not going to yeah. do it. We're Our happy son- that you're here. We're happy that you're listening, but we're not going to be part of that. You and I disagree on all sorts of things and we can talk about it without writing somebody off or saying you should be this. There's no shame in this game here in best to the nest. That's the nope. truth. Nope. And if we misstep, we misstep. Yeah, but it's because we are having the most authentic and loving conversations. And that might happen and you might disagree with us, but laughter in crisis is the way that we have run this podcast. And it's the way that I run my family. And see my family's Who's calling? Oh my gosh, how wonderful. Who's calling? My husband. Aww. He probably knows that we're saying this right now. But anyway, find us on Facebook and Instagram at Best of the Finesse. We are the podcast that brings you home. To be your best every day, you need proven quality sleep every night. Science proves your best sleep is vital to your mental, emotional, and physical health. And that's where the Sleep Number Bed comes in. And let me tell you, ever since I've had it, my Sleep IQ score is just going higher and higher. And did you know 8 out of 10 couples say that one of them sleeps too hot or too cold? Science tells us regulating your sleep temperature leads to higher quality sleep. For many couples, temperature struggles are a real challenge. So here are some tips to help you both sleep just right. Look for beds designed with temperature benefits such as the new Sleep Number Climate 360 Smart Bed that actively warms and cools each side so you both sleep blissfully comfortable. And now save 40% on the Sleep Number 360 Special Edition Smart Bed. Plus, special financing for a limited time. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com slash podcast one. Sleep Number, the official sleep and wellness partner of the National Football League. 
Subject to credit approval, minimum monthly payments required. See sleepnumber.com for details. Grab a 30-day free trial of Live by Live Plus and you'll get unlimited skips, commercial-free music, and all of the podcasts and live streaming events you can handle. Visit livexlive.com slash podcast1 to learn more and start your free trial.